Watch and listen to the talking news every day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. on Channel 96 Comcast Xfinity and Channel 30 Verizon Fios. It can also be heard Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. on Channel 9 Xfinity and Channel 29 Fios. Listen anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for the Belmont Media Podcast Network. And now on to the talking news. Solar panels to remain part of building project by Joanna K. Zavallis. Almost 100 solar advocates of all ages holding signs in support of keeping solar panels in the design of the new Belmont Middle and High School building gathered at the entrance to the Homer Municipal Building early Thursday morning. The BMHSB committee uh, had a meeting to decide what to cut to get, the two, to get to the $295 million project back on budget. It was estimated to be $19 million over the budget approved by the Massachusetts School Building Authority. After hearing comments from solar advocates, including Belmont High School senior Madeline Kitch, who collected more than 200 signatures from fellow BHS uh, students in just two days in support of keeping the solar panels. The $3 million item, $3 million item for solar panels was not cut. Chairman Bill Lavello opened the meeting explaining the committee's core, core mission and said, I don't think we are going to eliminate solar panels today. Committee member Bob McLaughlin, however, said he doesn't want to watch the building die a death of a thousand cuts, reiterating his concern about building a first-class, durable, quality building that will last 50 years. Uh, solar panels aren't on the building when it opens at the next town meeting it will be, said McLaughlin adding the number of people who showed up at the meeting show the constituency for solar and the power to get support for additional funding at town meeting. However, committee member Ellen Schreiber disagreed with McLaughlin, saying it would be a mistake to take it to town meeting. We have asked the town for $295 million and promised it wouldn't be more than $295 million, and taking a request for solar panels to a town meeting is increasing a budget. I think we have a pact that we made with the voters, and I think that the next time we ask for something, people won't believe us, she said. We made a promise. Items on the chopping block, the BMHSB committee voted on several items to get the project back on budget including reducing the size of skylights, eliminating all outside benches, eliminating trees, reducing the amount of porcelain tile on walls and floors, changing the material on operable walls, reducing uh, teacher cabinets, reducing the amount of catwalks, and changing wood panel material. This is the second time the building committee has had to make cuts. Back in April, the project was estimated to be $30 million over budget. One of the items on the list to potentially be cut was the rooftop solar arrays, uh, estimated to cost $3 million. A standing room-only crowd attended the April 22nd meeting to show support for the net zero goals, and on May 3rd, the committee decided to keep the solar panels. 
And now over to my colleague, Claire. Thank you, Bob. What's the rush? Timeline changed for Belmont to receive proposals from private developer for a new rink by Joanna K. Zuvelis. The message loud and clear at a public hearing held by the select board and school committee on September 16th was, what's the rush? Several residents voiced their concerns about the timeline for the request for a proposal, RFP, for a public-private partnership to secure a private entity to construct, operate, and maintain a new year-round skating rink on the Belmont High School campus. On September 23, the select board said it heard the residents' concerns and discussed a new timeline, which the school committee agreed on, on September 24. Also, several revisions were made to the RFP and lease based on feedback from residents at the September 16 hearing. Revised timeline. The select board will finalize and vote on the RFP and lease on October 7th. The school committee will vote to approve the RFP and lease on October 15th. It will be advertised in the Central Register on October 16th and advertised in the Citizen Herald on October 24th and 31st. Proposals will be due December 18th. An internal working group will evaluate the proposals between January 6th and January 17th. Top respondents will be interviewed January 21st. The school committee will select the best proposal, if any, on February 4th. On February 24th, a special town meeting will be held to vote on leasing to the selected private developer and amending the zoning bylaw. Revisions to RFP and lease. Since a zero net energy middle and high school building is being built, many at the, high, at the September 16th hearing questioned why a new rink on the same campus would not have the same requirement. Based on the feedback, and with input from the Belmont Energy Committee, changes were made to the RFP to beef up the energy efficiency and sustainability requirements, according to senior planner Jeffrey Wheeler. Zero net energy has been added as a preference of the town and would be highly advantageous in the evaluation criteria, said Wheeler. Examples of equipment and construction methods that are energy efficient were also included in the RFP. The lease was revised with many changes suggested at the September 16th hearing, including language to incentivize the developer to construct the ring quickly, a limitation on the number of large tournaments, prohibit prohibition on the assignment and subletting of the rink and hours for high school and town use. Language to clarify what will happen if the operator of the rink fails. Residents voice concerns. Godin Street resident Jane Ott asked the select board if any of them have visited a public-private skating rink. Select board chairman Tom Caputo and vice chairman Adam Dash each said they have visited rinks but do not know if they are public-private partnerships. Select board member Roy Epstein said he had a list of rinks that are public-private partnerships and plans to visit them. Now, over to Max. Thank you, Claire. What parents, kids, n need to know about e-cigarettes. 
an editorial by Teresa Freeman, Director of Communications, American Cancer Society. E-cigs, hookah pens, vape mods, Juul, no matter what you call it, they can be sweet and candy-flavored, yet harmful. Most e-cigarettes and all Juuls contain nicotine. Nicotine is addictive and can be harmful to your brain and health. Middle and high school students should not vape or use any tobacco products. What are e-cigarettes? E-cigarettes are electronic devices that heat liquid flavors and chemicals, e-juice. They create an aerosol, also called a vapor. This creates a mix of small particles that you inhale. Vaping means using any kind of e-cigarette and breathing in its aerosol or vapor. E-cigarettes are also called e-cigs, ENDA, Electronic Nicotine Delivery Service, ANDS, Alternative Nicotine Delivery Service, e-hookahs, hookah pens, vape pens, vape mods, vaporizers, vapes, and tank systems. One brand of e-cigarette is called Juul. All Juuls contain nicotine. The Juul devices are small, sleek, high-tech looking, and easy to hide. They look like USB flash drives and can be charged in a computer. Juuls can be hidden in the palm of the hand and are hard to detect because they give off very little vapor or smell. Kids and teenagers are known to use them in school restrooms and even in the classroom. Nicotine levels are not the same in all types of e-cigarettes, and sometimes product labels do not list the true nicotine content. The e-cigarette brand Juul has a significantly higher amount of nicotine per puff than some other types of e-cigarettes and cigarettes. Because of this, Juul and Juul-like products may be more addictive than other types of e-cigarettes. There are some e-cigarette brands that claim to be nicotine-free but have been found to contain nicotine. Can e-cigarettes harm you? Yes, e-cigarettes can harm you. Using e-cigarettes is less harmful for adults than smoking regular cigarettes, but it is not harmless for kids, teens, and young adults. E-cigarettes are still fairly new, and more research is needed over a longer period of time to know what the long-term effects may be. While the possible long-term effects of e-cigarettes aren't yet clear, there have been recent reports of serious lung disease in some people using e-cigarettes or other vaping devices. Symptoms have included cough, trouble breathing or chest pain, nausea, vomiting or diarrhea, fatigue, fever, or weight loss. Some cases have been severe enough to require hospitalization, and several people have died from their illness. However, it's not yet clear how widespread these cases are or if they all have the same cause. There are a huge number of different vaping devices on the market and an even larger number of different chemicals in the form of e-juice that can be used in them, including ones that users sometimes add themselves. At this time, the main thing that, ca that these cases have in common is that people used e-cigarettes or other vaping devices. The U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and several state health departments are looking into these cases to try to figure out what else they might have in common. E-cigarette vapor contains some cancer-causing chemicals, although in significantly lower amounts than in, ci in cigarette smoke. Cigarette smoking remains the leading cause of preventable death in the U.S. and globally. What can we do about e-cigarettes? 
The American Cancer Society is closely watching for new research about the effects of using e-cigarettes and other tobacco products. The Society's goal is to reduce all tobacco use, and kids should never start. In Massachusetts, the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network, the nonprofit, nonpartisan advocacy affiliate to the American Cancer Society, in 2019 has been working to support a priority bill at the State House that would ban the sale of flavored tobacco products, including e-cigarettes in the Commonwealth. ACSCAN staff and volunteers say Big Tobacco continues to target kids with their sweet, candy-flavored, yet still addictive and harmful products. Flavored products are clearly designed to hook a new generation of kids on Big Tobacco's deadly products. This September, the Trump administration announced its intention to finalize compliance through the Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, and the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, that would prohibit most flavored e-cigarettes, including mint and menthol-flavored products, from being on the market. Quote, the tobacco industry uses flavored tobacco products to lure kids into a lifetime of nicotine addiction, unquote, said Gary Reedy, CEO of the American Cancer Society and the American Cancer Society Career Action Network, Cancer Action Network. The administration is taking an important first step in announcing its intention to remove flavored e-cigarettes from the market that have hooked youth. But it is critical that any final policy solution take a comprehensive approach to tobacco control to reduce all tobacco use. We will look closely at the details of the guidance and advocate for a final proposal that includes all flavored tobacco products, including e-cigarettes, cigars, and menthol cigarettes, and addresses nicotine addiction to maximize the impact on public health. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. You are more than your sport by Dr. Jacob Konka, the principal of Zaverian Brothers High School. It is widely held belief that participation in team sports is beneficial to adolescents, and at Zaverian, we certainly agree. We see the physical, social, emotional, and academic benefits in our student-athletes year after year. However, we also sometimes see student-athletes who tie their identity to their sport in a way that downplays other valuable character traits. When this happens, they are at risk of a weakened self-image, especially when the game doesn't go their way or when their playing days are over. In our current sports-infused culture, the allure and idolization of athletes is all around us. Therefore, it is not surprising that we see adolescents defining themselves by the, by the sport they play. While healthy participation, participation in athletics is great on many levels, all athletes will one day experience the pain of no longer being able to play their sport, whether through cuts, injury, or other circumstances, then what? Here at Zaverian, we believe that each young man is much more than the sport he plays, and we try our best to help him realize that. We remind our student-athletes that they are more than a goalie, a pitcher, a runner, or a linebacker. Why? Because sports are what you do. Your character is who you are. If a young man defines himself by his sport, something he does, rather than his character, who he is, then any bad play, blunder, or loss can feel like a judgment of worth instead of what they are, 
a very common occurrence from which you can learn and grow. It can cause a season-ending injury or become devastating to a student-athlete's sense of self. And while we're incredibly proud of the high number of Hawks who go on to compete in college, about 23% of Zavarian's class of 2019 athletes went on to play at the NCAA level, compared to the national average of 6.2% reported by the NCAA. The truth is that for the majority of our high school athletes, a college or pro sports career likely isn't in the cards. So when a student athlete's playing days come to an end, it is important that he appreciates that he is much more than his batting average. Who is he? He is all of the things that his family and friends love, whether that's someone who is compassionate, creative, funny, someone who puts the needs of others before himself, a leader, or a peacemaker. These character traits endure long after his playing days have concluded. That said, at Zavarian, we believe the opportunity to participate in athletics is a healthy and rewarding facet of education. We are proud that in any given year, more than 75% of our students are on, athletic, uh, on an athletic team, whether it's football or any other of the 17 sports available on campus. We provide non-cut non sports at our Francis Xavier Division level, those are grades 7 and 8, because we believe every student deserves the chance to be on a team. Just last year, we, we had four basketball teams to accommodate every young man who wanted to play. Through team sports, student-athletes learn humility, leadership, teamwork, perseverance, and grit. Occasionally, student-athletes must be organized, additionally, I should say, student-athletes must be organized and possess the ability to prioritize in order to balance rigorous and academic demands with a busy athletic schedule. These characteristic skills and lessons will serve them throughout their lives. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Belmont serves to take place on October 14th. The Townwide Volunteer Day is gearing up for Columbus Day, Monday, October 14. The Belmont Religious Council announces the 11th Annual Belmont Serves, a day of service for the Belmont community by the Belmont community. This year, organizers are piloting an afternoon session from 1 to 4 p.m. based on valuable feedback received from last year's volunteers. Everyone is encouraged to register for projects by filling out the online registration form at http belmontserves.org. There is lots of work to go around, including some food drives set up before October 14. The headquarters for Belmont Serves is First Church Unitarian Universalist 404 Concord Ave. Schedule of Events at 8.30 a.m., breakfast for all at First Church Unitarian and sign-in project assignment. 9 a.m. till noon, service projects, morning shift. Noon to 12.30 p.m., pizza and ice cream at the Unitarian Church. 1 to 4 p.m., service projects, afternoon shift. Each volunteer or group will be able to sign up for a project, then join a team, which will work together for the morning or afternoon shift. 
Projects will include, but are not limited to, the following. Door-to-door -door collection of items for the Belmont Food Pantry, ideal for families with young children as well as other groups. Trails in conservation areas, or clearing trails at Rock Meadow and Habitat. And cleanup and landscaping projects at Burbank, Butler, Benton Library, and the Woodland Garden at the Belmont Public Library. For door-to-door -door collection for the Belmont Food Pantry, teams of volunteers will be assigned to specific routes, collecting bags of groceries left at doorsteps for delivery to the Belmont Food Pantry. These grocery bags are distributed door-to-door -door throughout the town during the week before Belmont serves day. This service touches 8,000 homes and supplies food and much-needed toiletry items for countless individuals in need. For work on the trails and conservation areas, volunteers can help with pruning and clearing invasive vegetation at Rock Meadow and Habitat. Wear long sleeves and long pants to avoid poison ivy. Organizers will supply the tools, but volunteers can bring clippers or loppers. Volunteers doing landscaping projects will work on pruning existing shrubs, cutting and removing invasives, picking up trash and debris, and preparing school and library gardens for the winter. Now over to Max. Thanks, Claire. Longtime resident leaves legacy to preserve open space by Joanna Kate Suvelis. Those who knew Belmont resident Joan Louise Campbell remember her as a lover of open space who was often riding around town on her bicycle. She passed away at the age of 92 on December 15, 2016, and on September 23rd, the Select Board accepted a gift of $330,000 from her estate for the Joan Campbell Fund to benefit Lone Tree Hill. According to Ellen O'Brien Cushman, Chairman of the Land Management Committee for Lone Tree Hill, Campbell was very involved in the process when the town acquired the 119-acre property from McLean Hospital. Quote, she was a watchdog for the committee, unquote, said Cushman. Cushman said the fund will be managed by the Land Management Committee and used to support the prudent long-term management, stewardship, and conservation of Lone Tree Hill. Campbell lived in Belmont since 1937. She was also active in the League of Women Voters, the Belmont Garden Club, served as a town meeting member, and on local town committees, as well as cons conservation organizations. Her other interests included sailing, biking, gardening, traveling, bird watching, and the Boston sports team. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. American Taste Bar celebrating a new location. <coughs> Excuse me, by Joanna K. Zavallis. American Taste Bar recently moved from its 493C Trapello Road location to 7 Brighton Street. Celebrating its, uh, it celebrated its uh, grand opening on October the 5th. Spar owners Chrissy Santini of Medford and Sylvia Sesluck of Cambridge decided to move their business due to the demolition of the building where they were formerly located for a new development. They found out about an, a vacancy where Damnation Alley, a distillery, used to be located for nearly six years until it closed at the end of March. After complete renovation, the doors to the new salon opened on uh, July the 10th. The uh, timing worked out good, said uh, Santini. 
Santini and Sezalek uh, took over ownership of the American Day Spa in 2010. They learned the building was going to be demolished earlier this year and weren't sure if they would reopen at the same location after the new building's completion. They decided to relocate to a bigger space. American Day Spa is full is a full-service uh, salon offering hairstyling, coloring, tape and extensions, eyelash lifts, tints, extensions, waxes, facials, and makeup. There are currently five hairstylists on the staff. Clients should expect to feel amazed, uh, feel amazing when they leave and, and look the best they have looked, said Santini. She has been styling hair for 20 years. I love that I can change a person's mood instantly when their hair, hair looks amazing, said Santini. She said she has wanted to be a hairstylist for as long as she can remember. Now over to Claire. Thanks, Bob. Beach Street Center to hold an art exhibition. The Beach Street Center will welcome two artists who formerly worked out of stu studios in the Kendall Center for the Arts, located where the Beach Street Center is now, for an exhibition that will be on view October 6th through November 12th. The Kendall Center was a community art center offering classes and concerts for children, teens, and adults. It had studios housing over 35 artists, and it was a great loss to the town of Belmont when the building burned to the ground in the spring of 1999. Many of the artists lost all of their work. Many have built new art lives in different locations. Parrish Dobson and Susan Post both Belmont residents, will return to the former site of the Kendall Center for this show in commemoration of the 20th anniversary of the fire. There will be an artist reception from 5 to 7 p.m. October 22nd at the Center, 266 Beach Street, Belmont. All are welcome. Having painted since childhood, trees have been a lodestar subject for post for almost as long Shifting from observed and abstract landscape to reductive abstraction and back again to imagined landscape, she tries to find ways in which paint can express what she feels when she is in nature. Together with her husband, she raised their three sons, educated in the Belmont Public Schools, and when she is not painting, Post enjoys volunteering at the Everett C. Benton Library. Dobson is a fine art photographer, working mostly in landscape and still life. A resident of Belmont for 34 years, she took an interest in land use issues the town faced with the development of the Belmont uplands. She will show images from the land along Little Pond near the Alewife Reservation as well as photographs from several New England locations. Parrish taught photography for many years at the Buckingham Brown and Nichols School and now has a studio in Somerville. Now here's Max. Thank you, Claire. St. Luke's celebrates 100 years. St. Luke's Parish, 132 Lexington Street, celebrated its centennial anniversary on September 21st with Cardinal Sean O'Malley, Archbishop of Boston, as the principal celebrant during a mass of thanksgiving. Priests, both past and present, as well as priests and religious called for to a vocation from within the parish, also participated in the Mass. Following the Mass, a reception was held in the lower church hall. The church bell rang 100 times to mark the, the occasion. 
proceeds from a year-long sale of centennial commemorative items benefited Our Lady of Lourdes in Tanzania, a parish in need, whose pastor, the Reverend Leopold Mushabozi, once served at St. Luke's. A time capsule was also created, gathering memorabilia and written reflections from parishioners. This will be opened on the occasion uh, on the parish's 125th anniversary in 2044. There are cur- they, they currently have over 1,300 registered families in the parish. Kathy Groth, a parishioner and member of the Centennial Planning Committee, said St. Luke has always been a family-centered community who, where multi-generations have grown together and learned from each other. Quote, this has, has continued through the past and still is vibrantly present today. Blessed with a dedicated pastor, Father Tom Mahoney, who has innovative ideas and the ability to impart a vision for the future, as well as priests and religions, we have and continue to have, uh, continue to be guided to evangelize the faith and to be generous with our time, talent, and treasure, said Roth. Back to you, Bob. Along with my colleagues, Claire and Max, we thank you for listening to the Talking News and hope you've enjoyed the show. We will return next week for another edition of Local News Happenings around Belmont.